What's up? Welcome to Chicago Queer and Now. My name is Taryn Allen, and I'm here with my co-host, Adam Rhodes. How's it going, Adam? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. We had our big launch of the podcast this week. How are you feeling? I feel crazy. It feels like, it feels weird that so many people now hear what my awful voice sounds like. It's, yeah, it's very <laughs> surreal. Um, I I don't know if you saw, I tweeted on the launch day just being like, wait, are people are actually listening to this. Like, I want to throw terrifying. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was like, oh, no, attention. Please stop. Yeah. I actually don't like this. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's been it's been really good. I think it's yeah. brought out like a really cool support system, at least for me, of like like family and friends and coworkers, um, even people I was kind of surprised to hear from. So it's yeah, been good. I that's been super, super surprising too. Like the amount of people that I did not know even like followed me on Twitter, or, like paid attention to like anything that I do. Um, we're just like, oh my God, I loved your podcast. Like I can't wait for the next episode. So that felt really, really good. Yeah, yeah. We, we set the bar high, so. We did, we did. Uh, so today we're going to talk about queer joy, right? Yes, yes. Um, I think there's so much that's like deeply, deeply scary about being queer sometimes. Um, and I think as journalists, sometimes we focus on that a little too much. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important that we just talk about how fucking fun it is being queer sometimes because I have to say, I think my life is a thousand times more interesting and way more fucking fun because I'm queer. Yeah, hard agree. It can be oftentimes hard to see that like being queer is something to be celebrated like in ourselves that like we should celebrate being queer. What makes you happy about being queer, Taryn? Uh, I think the the first thing that comes to mind, just first and foremost, is my girlfriend and living in a like happy, healthy queer relationship. Uh, it just feels like the greatest privilege um, to to have my girlfriend Monica and to be able to just like build our life together and be authentic and be accepted by so many people um monica is, shout out to yeah, monica we love monica um we do. i just it just feels so much better to me than being in a straight relationship i feel like there is so much like toxicity around especially just like straight men who are bad boyfriends and like girls are the straights who have a okay really, i know girls who have a really low bar in in people they date and I think like from the get-go Monica and I were were both so in tune with each other about our emotions and like just what we wanted and obviously there can be a lot of drama in queer relationships too like for no. sure. but <laughs> but I feel like there is just so much like goodness and healthiness that comes from from dating another girl and and being able to to be together so what about you? What comes to mind for you? Well, now I'm going to be an asshole if I don't say my partner, Randy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I well, love that, my partner. That was what you were going to say, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love my partner very, very much. Obviously. He is absolutely one of my favorite things about being queer. Um, but I think one of my favorite things, or probably my favorite thing about being queer, is just, like, how, like, just the freedom that I feel in, like, literally every aspect of my life. Like, I feel like at the outset, being queer makes us different in the eyes of like cisgender heterosexual people and so I think like once we understand that like oh we're different and we don't have to like abide by the same like I guess like societal expectations and rules that straight people do I think it like opens us up in terms of like presentation the relationships we can form how those relationships work stuff like that and I think I really yeah. really like the freedom to almost like set those rules for myself 
without like having to check like oh is like the world gonna be okay with this and I think like queerness um has like almost like unlocked that for me yeah yeah there are so many ways you can just kind of like rewrite the rules because you are fundamentally not moving through the world in the same way that people expect you to yeah Um, definitely so I yeah I, I think in all aspects of your life um another thing that comes to mind for me is uh when other people reach out and tell me that me being queer has made a difference for them um that brings me to tears every single time it's it's happened a couple times with people I knew in high school or college that oh wow that they reach out and just and just be like either they're kind of processing their own sexuality or just yeah they're in a new relationship or something for them to reach out and be like I don't know why but I want to share this news with you and and just so you know like seeing you be yourself has made an impact on me um I just like sob every time and it feels crazy that that I can do that just by by being myself oh my god completely um I would a thousand percent um ugly cry if someone said that to me yeah Um, I don't know I actually think someone has said that to me but um yeah I think there's always um it's always like I think so astounding when we see like examples that like we as just like everyday queer people like existing are Mm -hmm. like setting examples for people um uh I got a very very sweet holiday card from like a very dear friend of mine who is also queer who like I just like hold on the same pedestal as me and in the holiday card he would just like you know like I really admire how much you just like stand in being queer and like brought me to tears I was like system error like I needed to like reboot it was awful I was yeah a whole wreck but it was lovely yeah I, I know there's some debate about just like for queer people are you doing enough if you are being your authentic queer self but you're not like an activist and really like mobilizing and like getting things done for your community um mm-hmm. but I think stuff like that is a good reminder that it, it doesn't have to be one or the other that that you can be yourself and and still like maybe you're not changing the world in a huge huge way but if you are kind of helping one other person just be like oh maybe it's okay to like not dress the way people expect me to or to not like date men like I don't know it, it, it's a good feeling yeah for sure I think like you know there is so much like initial trepidation I think to being queer there's always like it was like number one is this normal is this an okay feeling but then like it's hard as a young person to see like again like we talked about there's um so much that people talk about that's like scary about being queer it's like discrimination and like health outcome and like all that stuff Mm -hmm. but it's also I think so powerful and so important to see like examples of like thriving queer people and like queer joy yeah Yeah. And queer joy definitely doesn't like start and end with marriage equality. And like, we have a lot, yeah, we have a long way to go in, in getting everything that the community deserves, but there is so much joy out there just in everyday life and, and expressing yourself and seeing other people express themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what is one of the things that like makes you feel very queer? Um, one thing that comes to mind which is pretty small 
is just like walking through the city and holding Monica's hand. Uh, I remember the first time we did that because uh, we met in Denver at school. The first time we walked through downtown Denver holding hands, I just kind of had to stop and be like, I have to tell you right now, this is like a dream come true for young, young Taryn who would like, you know, really like never, never really dated anyone and was always just kind of like, wow, maybe someday like I could have that and that would be amazing. And, and just to have that feeling and to be open in front of other people and like in a happy queer relationship was like, I don't know, just really did something to me. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, but also your answers cannot all be Monica. I know, I know. I <laughs> just she's like, no. All of it. Listen, Monica's lovely. We love Monica. And um, so much of my queer identity is is tied up in her too, because like, I don't know, I, I came out and she's like my real first first and oh, only no, big I'm absolutely just teasing so. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally just teasing you, I promise. Um, uh, I don't I don't need to be too sappy compared to all of your answers so <laughs> I mean my answers are like superficial like clothing and like <laughs> um uh honestly what makes me feel very queer is like going and getting my nails done um mm. like going to a salon and get my nails done I am usually always the like male presenting person in the salon like I think they're literally and all of the times I've ever gotten my nails done there has only been like another like male presented person getting their or male presenting person getting their nails done like two other times Mm -hmm. um and so it like on one hand feels like very like tokenizing in a way because like the nail techs would be like "Ooh, what are they getting like they're like flabbergasted that like a guy is coming in or like who they perceive as a guy right like getting like longer nails or like a fun design or something Mm -hmm. but then also like when they're when it's done and it looks good and like everyone's like admiring it like everyone as if I'm like the center of this like salon Um, right when people (laughs) all eyes on you (laughs) right always um when people like then admire my nails I like I it gives me that little like a boost of gender euphoria Mm -hmm. that's really nice yeah Yeah, I, I think definitely like as we've talked about clothing I think that is the the biggest thing that makes me feel the most queer because it that is the biggest thing that is kind of going against what people expect of me I I suppose so you're a Monica you can't change your answer (laughs) I'm I'm adding to it (laughs) Um, Uh, what do you think like queer joy in the future looks like because I think like you know right now a lot of queer joy um at least for me centers on like just getting comfortable with like expressing myself a certain way or like the very like the infancy of like identity exploration um and so what do you think like what do you think Taryn of the future's queer joy will look like Hmm. what do you want it to look like yeah I think I am moving in a good direction right now in terms of my like self-expression and self-confidence um so I, I think, yeah, continuing on that trajectory, um, obviously I see a future with Monica. That's not my answer. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to tease you about Monica, I promise. And I think just like being able to find a good queer community as well, because I think right now it's kind of limited to like us as a couple and like some coworkers and like friends here and there. Um, but I think maybe at some point feeling like we really have just like a good solid queer friend group, um, or like kind of chosen family-esque thing. Um, and 
just on a, also on a larger scale, like queer liberation that goes beyond me for like black and brown people, for trans people, like obviously it doesn't start and end with like young white queers. Um, so yeah, I, I just think giving everyone the opportunity to experience the kind of queer joy that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think definitely on a macro level, like queer joy of the future absolutely has to include um, black and brown trans people, the most marginalized of our communities, mm -hmm. um, people who are, um, a, the I mean, again, the most marginalized and also like the most over-policed, the most over-discriminated, like the people who have the least power among the queer community. Yeah, um, in I terms mean, of yeah, so queer joy is also abolition and yeah. just like everything that that entails, yeah. Oh my God, yes. Hell fucking yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, but like on a personal level, I think queer joy of the future for me really looks like, uh, I think building more of that like chosen family that, we see in like queer media where like, oh, I have like this like tight knit group of friends that I go to for anything. Um, I think I, I had that a little bit, I had that a lot of it in New York. I had a very uh, good group of friends, but like I left all of those friends when I moved to Chicago. So I think yeah. finding that here is something that I definitely would love. I would love to like have a core group of people that I see very regularly that I'm close with that I like make those um, like lasting connections with. So I think, uh, queer joy for future Adam is just like creating that community for myself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so that's all we have for this segment, um, but stay tuned because we are going to have an exclusive interview uh, with the always lovely, always hilarious uh, culture editor at The Reader, uh, Salem Kalajulin. Chicago Reader podcasts are recorded on Sure microphones. Born in Chicago, Shure has been bringing stories to life on stage and in the studio for nearly 100 years. Whether you're listening along or starting a project of your own, Shure makes extraordinary audio products you can rely on anywhere, anytime. Learn more at Shure.com. Okay, so now Adam and I are going to interview a colleague of ours, um, Salem, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us your pronouns, and then let's start with just what do you do at The Reader and what's what's your history with the paper? Okay, um, well, my name is Salem Kalojulin. Uh, my pronouns are she or they, and um, I currently have the title of Interim Culture Editor of the Chicago Reader. Uh, which means that I take care of uh, our city life section, our literary coverage for the city and visual arts and architecture. Um, I'm also in charge of doing some of the events listings and uh, calendar at the moment. Um, started working as a staff member of the Chicago Reader in early 2019. Um, but I'm a Chicago native um, and I'm in my 40s. So I've grown up literally with the newspaper. Uh, I remember uh, either my dad or my mom or one of my aunts bringing it back to the house, um, you know, early on, maybe in like late 70s, just in the pile of the other free publications that would be on the kitchen table. And uh, when I got older, it's uh, the place that I went to find information about cool stuff to do and um, read long stories about all the crazy stuff happening in our little Chicago world. Yeah. 
I will say alongside uh, Salem's role as the interim culture editor, Salem is also the recipient of all of my ridiculous pitches about like the tchotchkes I want to write and like the OnlyFans. Um, and you'll probably be reading the forthcoming poppers essay I'm writing. It's a trip. Salem and I are just like kindred <laughs> spirits and like are just weirdness. So <laughs> Salem is essentially the person responsible for all of like the shit posting that turns into articles. <laughs> Listen, you're totally responsible for all of that. I just, I just paved the the way to, you know, give you a place to put all of your your good thoughts. So you know, <laughs> we're a team. I don't know if they're all good thoughts, but some of them are. Well, that's, that's not for us to decide. It's for our great readers to decide. I did save my piece of hate mail. I went when I went to the office. Sandra had it ready for me. She said, "Here you go." Um. So you uh, said you have like a longstanding, I guess, like personal history with the reader. How does it feel to be part of the staff at a publication that's had such a big role in your life? It's sometimes very surreal. Um, my close friends that have known me for the longest have all told me like this job that you have and like where you are with this paper is a perfect kind of fit for you. Like we know you and this is exactly. And they said that when I first started, um, when I first started, I, I took on the part-time, at the time it was a music listings coordinator role. And it was just putting in all the information about every concert that's coming to town. Um, dates, times, age ranges. And years ago, um, I had an office job and to kind of keep myself um, interested in life because it was just a, you know, kind of desk jockey, greeting people who came in, no one ever came in, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, I, I actually put together like a list of the events that I like to think that I was going to make that weekend and I would email all my friends with it. So like, okay. I just, yeah, yeah. And um, I've always been interested in people's personal calendars and hearing from people like what kind of cool things that they're um, drawn to throughout the city. It's the best way to find out about neighborhoods that you haven't been to is just to ask somebody who's going there all the time, you know, what do you like about this place, you know, and so, um, so I feel like it's a good fit and there's nowhere else that uh, makes sense for me right now. Um, but it's also this totally surreal thing to be working for this entity that's been around for so long. And um, also when I was younger, um, you know, I, I've, I've done creative work as, as uh, in the visual arts and also as a writer. And um, I can remember the first time that something I was involved in just got listed, you know, just had that little thing in the paper that said uh, my name and a date and a time and nothing else. And the amount of uh, energetic kind of weep crying I was about <laughs> just having this thing in the paper. So I, I feel like those of us who've had that experience and then get to do it for other people, we understand like what, um, local media means to people who use it, you know? I mean, it's just, it's everything. I, there's so many times just even in the um, events wrangling kind of portion of my job where I see something and I know it's a band I've never heard of before, I'll look them up and they're literally 12 year olds, teenagers, you know, or mm -hmm. it's like, it's like a, you know, some sort of theater event that's happening. And it, I know it's in someone's backyard just based on the address. You know, we'll have to contact them, make sure, like, is it okay to have your address on our website? 400,000 people might see it, you know, and, <laughs> but 
the reaction is always very similar to the one that I had when I was younger, you know, just like, Oh my God, we're going to be in the reader, you know? So it's, it's cool to work somewhere where people have that reaction to whatever you put out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I will say that is a pretty surreal part of like, even my job. Like, I mean, I don't even, I'm not like contacting people about like their fun music venues and like things like that. But like, even when I contact them for stories, um, about like negative experiences, they're just like, oh, cool, the reader. Yeah. So it's a really fun feeling to like have that reaction and not just be like, oh, it's you people again. So like you said, when you introduce yourself, you use she and sometimes they pronouns. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what kind of motivated uh, your decision or like what is behind your decision to, um, uh, I guess like not change, but like evolve your pronouns i mean like it's something i've done recently so i'm always super interested in like uh what motivates people to like make that change it's a really i mean it's it's very it's very new for me um really as of like this year i decided that it's a good time to uh start asking people to use they for me and see how that feels really. Um, And I've been having a long uh, series of conversations with a friend of mine who's in her fifties. I'm, as I said, I'm 46, but um, there's there's this moment in time where the language was there. You know, I know that people have been talking about the gender binary for a very long time, but um, I feel like the terminology that a lot of people are, that's used commonly right now, is not stuff that was available to most of us when I was in my teens or 20s. And so I think when I finally, and the funny thing is like, uh, um, even as somebody who's had trans people in my life and I knew they were trans, you know, like sometimes we have trans people in our lives and we don't know and they don't know, you know, maybe when you're a child, you know somebody and you think something's kind of off, but you don't really know and whatever. But I've, I've known people who identified openly as trans since I was at least 15 years old. Um, I started actually attending drag shows at that point pretty early on because those were the bars that wouldn't card. So that's where we would go to, you know, see nightlife and crazy things. And um, I just never really understood um, the terminology. And then in the last couple of years, more of my friends that are even 10 years younger than me have started adopting um, non-binary as an, as an identity. So when I'm talking to friends who are older than me, like I was saying, I, I've had this conversation going with a friend of mine who's maybe about 10 years older than me. And um, both of us kind of came to this conclusion that like, wow, this makes sense. You know, there's this way that I felt my entire life and I don't always feel like I need to do certain things. Um, and now the word is here. So it all just kind of comes into place. The funny thing is though, for me, um, you know, my, my self-inflicted bound, uh, like barriers from starting to even explore, like, is this my identity or is this something that I feel connected to, um, are really have been over the years about how women are, um, viewed, or at least, you know, growing up, like from the seventies on, you know, you don't see people really, you know, believing that women can do certain things or look a certain way or act a certain way, you know, even though by the 90s, 
there's a lot of movement and, you know, the women's, women's liberation has been here since, you know, the 1950s, really, when you look at it. But that doesn't mean that, again, people are actually actively accepting that, you know, and at least where the situations I grew up in, it wasn't always the case. So I always thought that um, there was this misconception of what a woman could be. And maybe that's what was drawing people younger than myself towards not identifying as a woman anymore. And I always thought in my head, okay, well, maybe if, if more butch women were out and, you know, just demanded a certain kind of acceptance, then that would help to people see the spectrum of what a woman can look like and act like in public and all of that. But I think at, upon further reflection, it's actually a lot deeper. So, and I'm also bisexual, which makes me a special case, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Although I know a lot of people who are like, yeah, I can see myself like not on the binary and they'll say stuff like they're fluid, but I'm very much, I mean, I'm not, I'm not married to labels, but I think they can be helpful. And especially now that I'm getting older, I think it's super helpful when, you know, I have now cousins and you know little kids and teenagers in my life you know and so for a teenager to talk to me and say like oh yeah Salem is much older than me but she says that she's a bisexual she's a writer she's a you know any of these things like there's some strength to to that identity so yeah yeah it's, it's a good reminder that not only can your like identities and labels change as you get older. Like you don't have to decide when you're like in your teens or twenties, but also that as language evolves and as like queer culture evolves, you can just kind of like find things that click into place. So I, I like the way you describe it. Um, so you're bisexual. When did your kind of like coming out journey happen? What was that like? Just like being in Chicago as like a young queer person. Oh, wow. So I, I didn't know that, and this sounds really crazy, but I think I share it with some people. I didn't know that I was anything other than, uh, you know, straight and boy crazy until probably I was like um, 19 or so. That's okay. And, and it's because that's when I first like found uh, other people who had this kind of political commitment to the word bisexual. I met and befriended some people who had been in Queer Nation here in Chicago, um, which was the um, the kind of secondary outgrowth group after ACT UP, you know, and the Queer Nation people were supposed to be a little bit more radical and wanted to do more direct action. Um, but the ACT UP group in Chicago was already pretty radical and doing a lot of stuff. So, um, uh, and I think just having conversations with people around that time. Um, but before then I knew that there was something up. I think other people around me knew it clear more clearly than I did um mm -hmm. there are a lot of like and I think for a lot of people who grew up LGBT there's some painful moments where the other people are either you know whether they're helping or hurting they're kind of putting you into this box that you don't really even know exists for you yet it's like everyone else can see that you're doing this or that you are this and you have no idea um I still, to this day, I mean, to be honest, it's really one of the things that I have to continue to work on with like my therapist and, you know, talking to my friends, because there are some deep kind of like, 
oof, I can't, you can't call me that because you don't know anything about me. I have it, but it's just because I haven't gotten there yet. So um, my actual coming out to family members, it's detailed in an essay you can read on the Chicago Reader website. Cool. <laughs> but um, There's a great plug, 10 out of 10. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I, I, I'm, you know, identify first as a Chicago Reader employee. Everything else. Oh my God. No, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but I I can, the brief part of it that Chicago connected is that, um, like I said, some of the bars that had the, you know, the fun and games and them were not always that great about carding people or looking the other way when you had an obviously uh, fake ID, like, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants or somebody in your picture (laughs) instead of yourself. Please tell me your fake ID had SpongeBob SquarePants. No, because that did not exist at that time. So, uh, fair. But yeah, but I think it was a blonde guy, which is like, I don't know. It was like somebody's older brother's sibling. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah, it's fine. It's a face. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so Berlin, um, Berlin was actually usually pretty stringent about it because they always had somebody who wanted to uh, probably get promoted from bouncer to bartender. So they were always doing their job. But um, one night, um, my friends and I got in, we were, we were not, we were close to 21. We were close enough um, for our tastes, I guess. And we just went to dance one night and they had um, cameras there on the dance floor. There were guys with these huge video cameras taking people and you know my friends and I were not shy at that point and we pretty much like even to this day and in fact I can think of one of them who was in this group is still a friend of mine and if we saw somebody on the street like in a news story or something like that we'd we'd be those idiots waving behind them you know so um so anyway we're getting we're dancing we're getting taped by some random people taping and then the DJ stops the music and gets on the mic and says, hey, these cameras are from the Oprah show, which at the time, Harpo Productions was still in production here in Chicago. They're gonna be doing this show about um, bisexuality and being on the down low. So, which was a big hot topic during that year. Like men who were, were, you know, cheating on their wives with men and blah, blah, blah. And if you don't want to be on, you know, possibly pictured on the upper show, get off of the floor now because they're going to take this. So my friends and I were all like, I want to be on the upper show. So we're like, and I'm making stupid, crazy dancing moves right now. Um, So about six months later, I can't remember what, but um, my grandmother was watching the upper show and saw my stupid ass on the Oprah show dancing with my friends on the side and she (laughs) she asked me about it and like I could have like not said anything about anything but I decided and at that point I had already met my friends who kind of introduced that there's this world where I could be not straight but not necessarily a lesbian because that didn't feel right for me at the time and like all this other stuff and I, I just had this head full of language and I hadn't really told anybody that I was related to so I, I just told her everything. And she basically said, um, well, okay, but you know, just be careful with women because you know, they're gonna break your heart. Like, and I was like, what? You know, <laughs> and then we never talked about it again. Yeah. So 
So that was really my coming out. And then I remember going to like market days, sit, standing on Halstead Street with like some friends from high school, maybe a couple of years later. And they, you know, we didn't really have any formal conversations about it before that. And I was like, well, I'm surrounded by people who are like-minded, you know? So if one of these people is gonna get crazy and, you know, I didn't really know. I mean, a lot of the people I grew up with were kind of Catholic and sheltered. Um, which doesn't mean that you don't know anything. I mean, um, and I know that they've all evolved now, which is nice, but uh, I really didn't know. I remembered, I, I went to a high school where a lot of the kids who were even um, close to looking like they might be not straight. I'll just say, call it that, you know, just weird. Um, if you were weird, you got prosecuted, you got persecuted, I think is the word I'm trying to say. Um, Kim Fox you know. charged you with weird. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, it was bad. You know, there were, there were like, there were people who got beat up. There were people who, I remember one kid got thrown in the trunk of another kid's car and then he drove around, you know, this church parking lot and, you know. Oh my I God. Mean, oh yeah, we had like, it wasn't, it, it wasn't necessarily, you know, even though the rest of the world may have been, you know, growing up a little bit, we hadn't at that high school. I'm proud to say now, um, I have brothers who are much younger than me and there's been, you know, I, when my younger, youngest brother went, there was a gay straight alliance there, which was a huge, huge thing for that school. So things have changed. Uh, so I know Salem, you're currently a Southsider. Did you grow up on the South side and did you have queer spaces near you or in other neighborhoods? So I was a North Sider growing up. Um, and then because of uh, Chicago Public Schools, my uh, mom had moved out to the suburbs and so, but my dad hadn't. Um, so I kind of went back and forth between uh, North Side, like um, I'd say, I mean, we used to call it all West Town, but now that isn't really considered West Town anymore. So like Grand Avenue West, um, is where my, my family really is from. Um, and then in DuPage County is where the suburban part of my family is from. Um, so in DuPage County, um, you would think there would be less uh, like kind of queer spaces out there, but I do, most of the people that I remember who were adults that I identified in my head as queer um, were pretty out and proud, um, I think, because there weren't as many. So they had to be more, um, and that kind of gets back to what I was saying about, you know, now like being okay with like just using labels when I need to, because I know that there is a, a younger person out there that needs to know that there's this, you know, there's this gay person who's running this hair salon in Elmhurst, mm -hmm. you know, you need to know that. So, um, but in, in the city, a lot of the queer spaces that I knew that were identified as queer for me were Northside ones. I did get to go to Jeffrey Pub a couple of times when I was younger. I think more now my experience with Jeffrey Pub as I'm older is that it's a classic, wonderful bar in South Shore. Um, but uh, but I think I sought out more stuff on the North Side. So um, bookstores were a huge thing. We actually had more than one gay and lesbian bookstore uh, when I was younger. So we had, there was on a bridge, there was women and children first had just kind of moved up to where it is in Andersonville when I, when I first became aware of it. Um, there was always, 
uh, both queer and, um, you know, just like weird kids, that kind of stuff um, uh, going on in Wicker Park at the time. So there's a lot of, lot of different things. There's also a bookstore called People Like Us, which was in a building um, on Belmont and Racine. And on the second floor of that building was the Windy City Times offices. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, nice, but they, nice, uh, nice. yeah, yeah. Nice little corridor there. Very cool. Um, so uh, as someone who has grown up with the reader, like really, I think out of everyone on staff, you really know like the reader in and out. Um, why, um, it's like you and Philip, I think have like the top tier like reader knowledge in my head. Um, uh, I guess like, why do you think like the underground like arts and culture scene always happens to be like also where like the queers hang out? God, mm, yeah, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I think artists and creative people are in the business of figuring out interesting ways to solve the world's problems, right? You know, when you train as an artist, when you, when you become a writer, um, when you become a musician, you're, you're putting together an answer with, you know, you can get trained on the tools, you can learn how to play the guitar, but it's very hard to teach somebody how to, you know, write a song that's going to change people's minds. That's something that you develop over time and experience. Um, and part of part of the tools that you have to build as an artist are learning how to meet different people, people that are different than yourself, and having adventures and, and exploring things. So I think that there's always been this marriage of queer people throughout history to the people who are going to accept them, you know, and, and when we weren't able to live proudly amongst everybody else, you know, that would have been the, the, the oddballs like artists, you know. Um, so yeah, and I think for that, it's good that, you know, the reader and other publications like it have existed to um, give these people who wouldn't always have, you know, the first voice, you know, wouldn't always be the loudest voice in the mainstream, you know, this is a place where your, your, your stuff that you're doing can be celebrated. <laughs> all right, so that's all we have with Salem today. Stay tuned for our Queer Picks of the Week, everyone. Thanks. All right, Taryn, so I like to live pretty much every second of my day being as ridiculously queer as possible. Obviously. Um, I, I mean, you have to. Yeah. So um, what is one queer thing that's happened to you that you have or something this week that you like? My queer pick this week are these new pants that I got. Yes. I got these new pants from Vans um, as a female who dresses more like masculine or androgynous. Finding pants can sometimes be kind of a nightmare just to find something that feels really good. Um, but I got these pants from bands who can sponsor us if they want to. It's not a big deal. Um, but the pants are great. Yet. <laughs> I got some good joggers, uh, just like super comfortable, like a good kind of like baggy, all, all weather type pants. So really happy with them. Highly recommend for, for other like queer women who want to want to play around gender more oh my god hot tear in summer yeah in my vans Get, pants getting ready for it <laughs> awesome oh what's it's your a, pick adam uh, my queer pick this week is the incredible silly straw that our executive assistant sandra gave me when taryn and i visited the reader office for the archives 
it's it's truly just like a giant celia straw that spells out sparkle but i have wanted a like ridiculous silly straw for a long time i'm like like this person i have like very specific stupid wants and this made my entire day so and did it's, I drink- it's pink right yes it's pink i drank wine out of it it's wonderful 10 yeah. out of 10 would recommend this i hope you're straw. using it for every single beverage a hundred percent i yeah. have my coffee in it i'm gonna have some alcohol in it later it's gonna be weird tasting i'm ready yeah, just embrace it. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> good stuff at the office right now. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the reader went remote uh, kind of August 2020, not too far into the pandemic. So we've obviously downsized the office space, but there's still kind of random odds and ends that people left behind. And that silly straw was honestly an A-plus find. It really was. I just like kind of commented on it and Sandra said, it's been here forever. Do you want it? Which is my favorite way to end a sentence. Do you want it? Because the answer yeah. is always yes. Yep. Yeah. Sweet. Well, stay tuned for more ridiculous career picks. They may or may not still include that straw. I'm sure we're going to hear about some more incredible pant sartorial finds from Taryn. Um, so stay tuned for all that. Chicago Queer and Now is a podcast from the Chicago Reader, the city's independent bi-weekly alt newspaper that's been keeping things free and freaky since 1971. The show is hosted by Adam Rhodes and Taryn Allen, produced by Brianna Wellen, and edited by Adam Rhodes. It features original theme music by Richard Brazil, voice work by me, Kirk Williamson, and show logos by Taryn Allen. Reach out to us at cqn at chicagoreader.com. Follow us on Twitter at Chicago Queer Now and support this podcast and the rest of the Chicago Reader team by going to chicagoreader.com slash donate.